Okay, let's have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, which is where we are in our Bible uh, studies at the moment. Uh, that's on page 1149 of the uh, church Bible, if you're uh, using them. Uh, they're just nearby. Right, so we're, we're looking at uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, this part of the New Testament, which is, uh, as we probably know, uh, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, writing to this particular church in the city of Corinth, where he's wanting them to, to get back on track, really. We've seen that they had quite a lot of problems, one way and another. All kinds of blind spots in their thinking and their understanding, and then their living and how they were as a church community. And we've already seen quite a few of them, and I won't go over them, obviously, and uh, there's more to come as well. Uh, All along, Paul's great concern for them is that they're growing. He wants them to grow. That's the key thing. He, he's helping them to, to grow up. We called this uh, series Grow Up, partly because right there uh, in, in, in one of the early chapters, Paul says, I want to write to you, I want to talk to you like grown-up people, but I, I can't do that yet because you know, I should be giving you solid food and you're like a little baby even before it's weaned. You can't seem to, to get hold of stuff. And, and Paul is saying to them, you know, guys, brothers and sisters, let, you please just... Uh, Grow up, let's kind of grow up together, and that's, that's the, where the idea comes from. Uh, because their problem was, as we've seen, that the culture around them was shaping their lives uh, far more than it should have done in that sense. So they were all hung up on celebrity issues, you know, their favorite leaders. They were dividing, they had problems in the, the, with their relationships, people, people taking other people to court had problems with the whole area of sex and, and marriage, and there were questions that were uh, dealt with about that. And lots of these things are true for us as well. Our culture, maybe more than we realize, is shaping us. And it's good when we look at these New Testament books to, to take a kind of rain check on that and see, see whether uh, we're, we're too much like them. But they'd also written to uh, Paul uh, a letter with some questions in it. And as we've seen through chapter 7, uh, quite often Paul is quoting things that they had said to him, questions uh, they'd asked. And as you look at chapter 1, uh, chapter 8, rather, verse 1, there's that phrase, now about food sacrifice to idols. And, and that phrase, now about, uh, in, in other ways in the original language, is kind of almost like uh, in inverted commas. He's saying, look, the, you know, we were talking about this, you wanted to know about this, uh, and, and here is the answers that I, I want to give you. And at the moment, he says, what we're going to be talking about, he says to them, is eating food sacrificed to idols. Hmm. Well, you think, well, that's not, you know, what's that going to do with us? We don't eat food sacrificed to idols, uh, do we? Uh, It's interesting. This whole business, uh, reading 1 Corinthians, is a bit like listening to half of someone else's telephone conversation. You ever found yourself in that position? You know, you're in someone's house or the phone rings and you just can't help but listen to it, can you? No matter what you... Well, maybe it's just me. Am I the only one like that? You know, you kind of go... You, you want to look out the window or cough or whistle or try and think, but you just, you know, you just can't help it. You just find yourself tuning in. And uh, it's a bit like that with, with these letters. Uh, lots of the New Testament letters, you're, you're hearing Paul's side of the conversation, uh, but you're not quite hearing the other side. And Unlike when you go and see somebody and, uh, you know, they get a conversation, it's about business or something. This is personal. 
You know, this isn't hearing Paul saying, yeah, hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll make sure we get that done, you know, or whatever. It's, it's passionate, it's emotional. He's really involved with these people. He cares about them. And he's concerned about them because of his history with them. He started their church. He wants them to be growing, and he wants them to be growing so much that he aches for it. He, he, he loves them too much to want them to carry on in the same old way. And he was like that in other of the letters he wrote. You remember in, in the book of Galatians, he writes to the Christians there and he says, oh, I, I, uh, no uh, you know, respect to the two expectant mothers here, but he says, I, I'm like in agony, I'm like in labor again for you. It's like I'm going through labor so that Christ is formed in you. I really, you know, to me it really matters, says Paul. And we get something of that in these letters. And, and you know, we need to be growing up. And I guess, you know, Paul, if he was writing to us, would be just as passionate. The Holy Spirit has given us this stuff in the New Testament because it matters that we grow and that we develop. Now, a little bit about Corinth and about meat. Um, Meat was something in the ancient world, especially in a big Roman city like Corinth, that meat was used a lot in the worship of the gods that people uh, were devoted to. It would be offered in sacrifice in the temple. It would be, if you went along to give an offering to the God, you know, you give a bit of meat, actually probably quite a big bit of meat. Some of it would get burnt there. Some of it would be given to the priests and some of it would be left over. Uh, Certainly they wouldn't need it all. So what was left over, because often the priests had too much, I guess there's so much meat you can can eat, even if you're Homer Simpson, you can only have so much. Uh, And the, the, the priests were saying, uh, we'll, we'll get them, we'll, we'll set it off to the butchers, you see. So there's plenty of meat. And uh, lots of the meat that ended up in the meat market, the butchers, actually came from the temples. It was left over, or it's the priests didn't want it. So that was one source of meat in Corinth. But as well as this, the temples, the, the, the temples to the gods, the idols that they worshipped, were often used for meals. They were like restaurants, actually, or parts of them. In fact, uh, I saw a diagram. I hadn't had time to do a PowerPoint, otherwise I could have shown it to you. But there's a diagram of a, of, of, of a, of a typical temple. And there's a courtyard, and there's a bit where you worship the, the, the god inside. Uh, and, but around the courtyard, there's you know, some, some dining rooms. Each dining room held about 12 to 18 people on, on couches, and they were around a central courtyard. It was a great place to go and have a really nice meal. Uh, in, indeed, there's a, we, we've even got, I say we, a fragment has been found, a papyrus fra- fragment uh, about this time, which says it's, got a, it's an invitation. It says this, Caramon, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, invites you to dine at the table of the Lord Serapis at the temple of Serapis tomorrow, the 15th at the ninth hour. So it was quite common for people to, to have meals either after a big family celebration, get-together, of you know, ritual involving worshipping an idol, or, you know, you just go along to the temple, there's plenty of meat, good place to get together, have a meal, like going to the restaurant. So there's meat in the market that's come from the worship of idols, uh, and there's meat also in the temple restaurants that's available. And both of those kind of areas or supplies of meat, and, and Christians who, who didn't worship those idols were were kind of thinking, well, what do we do about that? And they were coming to different kind of conclusions. Paul talks about both of these things in chapters 9, uh, in chapter 8, and also in chapter 10, about going to a temple uh, for a restaurant meal, and also about buying meat 
from the market. That's in chapter 10. So it's a bit of a problem. Now, on top of all of this... up that one. That's okay. Yeah, that one's turned itself off as well. (laughs) Perhaps it's a sign. (laughs) It's not really a sign. Uh, It's because uh, we use a lot of microphones at Fun Day, I guess, and uh, they haven't been charged up enough. So I have to stay close to this one. Uh, Where was I? Yeah, so um, there was a Jewish community in Corinth, because we know from Acts, that's how the church started, out of the Jewish community when Paul went there. Now, of course, the Jewish people, um, they wouldn't have anything to do with anything related to idols. It was very strict. So they would have had their own supply of kosher meat, sorry, kosher meat, meat that was prepared in the right way for them. So that was another part of it. In fact, probably the only place you could get meat in Corinth, which hadn't been through the idol worship process, would have been through the kosher suppliers in the Jewish community. Now, Corinth then was a large, a diverse city. That was reflected in the church. The church was very much like the community it was in, and that was a good thing. Um, There were Jewish background believers in the community, and they would have had all their issues over the food laws. They'd never have anything to do with anything that had ever been near an idol. Others in the church would have in the past been idol worshippers, and they would have been into it big time, really deeply involved in idol worship. Some of those people would have left all of that a long time ago. It was no longer anything to do with their lives. And, and, and for them, going to, you know, if they were invited to a meal with some friends at the temple restaurant, you know, without going through a ritual, then for them it was no problem. You know, this was all part of the past. It was, it was you know, something that was all over, done and dusted. But others in the Christian community, in this uh, church at Corinth, couldn't have that freedom, really, because it was all too close. It was all too raw. It was all too real to them. They couldn't consider going anywhere near that stuff, not without big trouble. Now, Paul is worried about the Corinthians. He wants them to get back on track. He wants them to get back to their foundations in Jesus, as we've seen. They are writing to him, verse 1, they want him to tell them, that it's okay to eat idle food. That's what they've written. They've said, it's okay, isn't it, Paul? We can eat idle food. There's not a problem there, is there? And they kind of want him to sign off on that. Say, yeah, okay, guys, it's fine. But he's not going to do that because he's realizing, as we shall see in this passage, that it's not that straightforward. It's not that simple. And he's more worried about this attitude in them as uh, believers And about what it says about their spiritual life. He's saying, look guys, just wanting me to give you a rubber stamp answer to this. And you just carrying on, you know, on that basis. You're missing something really good here about what it means to grow up. And so he answers their questions very carefully. He quotes back to them what they've said. But all the time, as we shall see, he's helping them to see how on earth they can live as a diverse community of believers with Jewish people in their community who not have anything to do with anything to do with idol meat, with believers who are from um, the uh, Gentile background and so on, and and others who have different views. And he, he wants behind these questions to help them to grow up. So what we're thinking about today really is not 
eating meat offered to idols, which none of us, I doubt, will ever do, although maybe some of us might have that dilemma in our lives. What I want us to think about is, is the bigger question, how do we live in a diverse community? Because our community is diverse. Let's read it. Let's read chapter 8, verse 1, and see uh, where the argument goes. Put this back on now. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Living in a diverse community then. There are three things that Paul wants them to get hold of that will help them to live in a grown-up way as a community of very different people who all happen to be believers in Jesus. And he's telling them, and he's telling us, I think, that uh, these three things we need to get straight in our heads. We are a very diverse community here as a church. It's one of the things we cherish and value and pray that it may continue and, uh, and become even more diverse, that we may be more diverse. So we need this. We need this stuff. I need it. We need to know how do we live with one another when we have differences of, of, of conscience and of understanding about certain things. So there are three things here. Here's the first one. It's in verses 1 to 6. To live in a diverse community, I need to know that the Christian life is not just about what I know. The Christian life is not just about what I know. Look at that in verses 1 to 2. He starts off quoting them. We know that all possess knowledge. That's a quotation there. And the Corinthians were saying to Paul, Paul, it's, it's all right. You know, every Christian has understanding. He said, we all know what's right and what's wrong. We all know that it's okay. He was saying, they were saying, we've all got knowledge. Every one of us knows these things, as they're saying to Paul. So we, we should be free to just do what we, we think, what we understand to be right. It's okay in our heads. He's saying, we've all got the same information. We've all got, you know, truth about God and stuff. Where's the problem? If it's all clear to us, there shouldn't be one. 
So, let, you know, just let us get on. And, you know, why should it be a problem what, where, you know, whether I go to the temple restaurant or not? But you see, Paul says something quite interesting. He says it's not that simple. Look what he says in the second half. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He said, Paul's saying, yeah, he says, okay, so you know it all. Yeah, you've got it all clear in your heads. Yeah, sure. But listen, he's saying, you can be so sure of yourself, it can lead you to get puffed up. That's that word he's used before, overinflated. Get full of yourselves. He's saying, being filled with knowledge is, is, is fine, but you need to have love in your life as well. Unless we're shaped by love, then our knowledge is well, it's just knowledge, really. See where he's going with it? He's, they're saying, Paul, it's all right, you know, we've got the knowledge. Paul's saying, yeah, sure, but, but there's more to the Christian life than just what you know in your heads, guys. There's more to it than that. And being shaped by love so that people get built up is more important than getting kind of blown up like a balloon, getting overinflated because you know so much stuff. It's quite a good word to us, isn't it? A lot of us, you know, we, we love Bible teaching, we love getting studies and we love getting truth on board and everything. We need to be careful that we, we realise that it's, yeah, well that's good, but it's, that's not enough. It's not just that we know a load of stuff. And he goes on to explain that. He goes on to say, well, anyway, how do you know that you know enough? Look at verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. That's really interesting, isn't it? So the Corinthians are like, yeah, Paul, it's obvious. It's all clear enough. That's all right. Everyone knows this stuff. Paul's saying, we, they're saying, we know. It's okay. And Paul's saying, actually, if you, you know, really wise people, people who really know something, one of the things they know is how much they don't know. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, in actual fact, guys, you think you're you're getting all the stuff on board, you've got it all, but be careful, because maybe there's quite a few things that you don't know yet. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, it's true, isn't it, some of you are doing PhDs and all that kind of stuff, the more you get into a subject, the more you realise there is to find out about it. I remember once met a student when I was working for UCCF who who was doing a, a PhD three years on one molecule. I thought that was pretty pretty something, you know. Spend three years on one molecule. That's a lot to learn, isn't there? And he said, you know, he's discovering a lot more. So how do you know that you know enough? And anyway, Paul says, the real thing is not that your head is full of knowledge. Look at verse 3. But you're getting to love God more and grow in relationship with him. But the man who loves God is known by God. That's what he's saying there. So as the Corinthians say, it's okay, we can do what we want. Don't worry, Paul, be cool, relax, it's clear. You know, it's clear enough, we can do what we want. Let the others, they, they should know that, let them deal with it. That's their problem. And Paul is saying, no, 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 be careful. You may have got the, all the arguments. And actually in verses uh, three and four, uh, 4 and 5, rather, he goes through the arguments that they're probably quoting to him. You know, this stuff about uh, uh, verse 4, an idol is nothing at all. There's only one God in the world and all of that stuff. They're quoting again and Paul is agreeing with them. He says, yeah, that's right. An idol means nothing. There is only one God. All these other so-called gods are just imitations. They're not, they're nothing, they're not real. They're, they're, they're nothing to take into account. But Paul wants them to know more than just right theology. Look at verse 6. He slips in something in verse 6 which is... Well, it's like, actually, theologically, it's a a time bomb. 
You know, this, is, this is early 1 Corinthians, one of the first books Paul writes. Look at what he says about Jesus. Verse 6, there is but one God, the Father. All the Jewish community go, yay, that's the Shema. That's the, the, the Old Testament. There's one God but God. There is only one God. We love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, the first phrase of the Jewish thing. There is but one God, the Father, from, all thing, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See what he's saying? The one God of your Old Testament statement, Jewish, is Jesus Christ. He's saying that in the 50s AD. Don't let anyone tell you they kind of made up the fact that Jesus was the Son of God years later. It's right here, it's in Paul, one of his earliest writings. One Father who made the world, one Jesus who made the world. And then he says, and this is the key thing, we live through him. We live for him. Paul is saying, yeah, you may have got all the right knowledge in your head, but it's not just about getting it correct. You need to live for this Father. You need to live through Jesus. That knowledge that is not about your relationship, uh, sorry, knowledge that doesn't lead to relationship with God is simply not enough. That's what he's saying to them. So for us, living God's way, it's not just about what we know. Loving God, knowing him, is part of it. The person who loves God is known by God. That person lives for God. That person lives through Christ. And so the question comes to me, to you, am I, are we growing in that kind of knowledge? We're getting to know God better. Are we living for Jesus more? Is it more than just about stuff we can get into our theological brains? Or or is this, this growing, deepening relationship known by God? But So I need to get hold of that if I'm to live in a diverse community, that it's, uh, Christian life is not just about what I know. Okay? There's more to it. It's about knowing God. It's about living for God. Now Paul develops this more. The second thing he says in verse 7 to 8, I also need to get something, hold of something else if I'm to live in a diverse community without war and trouble and strife and whatnot. <laughs> and it's uh, an amazing revelation. You may be staggered by the depth of it. Verse 7, I need to know that not everyone is like me. Not everyone is like you, if you're in a diverse community. It's really easy. Paul says, but not everyone knows this. Now, Paul has just agreed with their quote, everyone's got knowledge. And then he kind of disagrees with them. He's taken them along the path and he said, well... Yeah, but actually not everyone has that knowledge. Not everyone knows this. Uh, Some translations translate it the same way. Not everyone has that knowledge. Sure, he says, they know about it at one level, but in another way, it's not there. Why? And if you read it, it's not there because of their background. It's not there because of what they've been through. They may know it in their heads, but their past experiences or, or their life or whatever it is, it has it, it, left something with them that means that they may have the knowledge at one level, but in another way, it's a problem. It's still part of their lives. They can't just say, this is food sacrificed to an idol, an idol is nothing, it doesn't matter. Because only last year they would have been in the midst of a, a, a dark temple where you know all kinds of stuff was going on, and and, and it, it kind of takes them right back to that. And, and for these guys, they're saying, "Yeah, I, I got it at one level, but deep in me, I, I'm not through that yet." Not everyone is like me. 
our situations shape us. Paul's saying, you can read it, that their conscience are troubling them. Conscience is something that, that is like a compass. It, it tells us when we're doing something wrong. Uh, but it, it takes a long time sometimes for it to be readjusted. It's not simple. And Paul says, look, you can carry, you, you might behave in a certain way, but you can end up defiling these others who aren't like you. It's a strong word. And it shows us that, look, we cannot make assumptions about other people. It means that we need to be aware of others as a community of believers. It means we need to take time listening to one another. Especially when people are troubled by things I might say or I might do. And I think, what's the matter with them? You know, they should know that. They should get over it. We've got to listen to those people and find out why they're not like you or like me. We've got to be gentle. We've got to be sensitive. Or we'll never survive as a diverse community. It also means we need to be honest, we need to be real, we need to be open with one another. So if you are hurt by something someone does or something someone says and it's causing you trouble in in your heart, your conscience, you need to tell that person and talk it through and pray it through together if you can. So we need to realise that others are not like us. We're all different. The past can have a very real and a very shaping effect And I cannot live in a diverse community unless I realise that everyone is not like me. And verse 8 actually says, look at verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat and no better if we don't. Sorry, wrong way round. No worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. And right at the end, Paul is going to say, hey, as we'll see, I'm willing to be a vegetarian. I'll, I'll, I'll do the ultimate sacrifice even for the sake of my brothers, as we'll see. I know that could be very hard for some of, some of you. It's not barbecue season yet, so I suppose that's okay. So that's the second thing. To live in our diverse community, I need to realise that not everyone is like me. That's what we need. Third thing, in verses 9 to 13. To live in our diverse community, I need to get hold of this. My rights are not the main thing. See, verse 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. does not mean that other people trip up. And that phrase, exercise of your freedom, some translations translate that holding to your rights. Uh, And that's the kind of idea of it. Because some of the Corinthians are saying to Paul, Paul, you know, They've got, they, they ought to know, you know, they ought to be like us. And anyway, I've got my rights, you know. I've got, why, why should I limit what I eat? Why should I not go to the temple, you know, for the restaurant just because of these people who, you know, who are troubled by it? Paul says something quite interesting. He says, uh, you can do that. You can exercise your freedom. He doesn't say don't exercise your freedom. He doesn't say, you have to give up your rights. But he does say to them, look, I want you to realise four things that's involved uh, when you exercise your rights. Number one, exercising my freedom can affect another believer. I'm not an island. I'm in a community, verse 9, 10. I can affect somebody else by what I do. 
Because he says, if you go to the temple, he's obviously talking about people having temple restaurant meals. That's what he says in verse 10. He actually mentions it. See there? Eating in an idol's temple. Now, Paul later, actually, in in, in chapter 10, is going to say more about eating in an idol's temple. It's very interesting. He could have said, right now, don't do it. Because there are actual good reasons not to do it, as we shall see in chapter 10. There are certain dangers and demonic issues associated with it. But at this stage, he's not saying that. What he's saying to them is, yeah, you could exercise your rights, but just be aware that in exercising my freedom, I can affect another believer, and it can be a problem. You follow your freedom, they follow your example, their conscience puts them in trouble. It's not just your freedom at stake. Second thing Paul says to them, This is not just another person. This is a brother or a sister. In fact, if you look from verse 11, uh, this is the first time in the passage, but between verse 11 and right down to the end of verse 13, the phrase brother or sister is used four times. 